Well, good morning. Good to see you this morning. Those of you that are worshiping at Church Online, we're so glad that you've joined us this morning. To you that are here, it's good to see your faces. Good to see some of you that haven't been here with us yet back with us today. We're glad that you're here. And if you're a first-time guest, if this is your first time here at First Charlotte, we'd love to get to know you. And if you text the number um, on, uh, that you see on the screen, if you text the word CONNECT, uh, to that number. Uh, it'll give us a little clue who you are, and, uh, and this week we'll mail you a gift. We would love to get to know you and your family and, and know a little bit about you. So, our family has one channel that we watch the news on, and there's a lot of places you get your news. Some of you read newspapers still. Some of you uh, get it from uh, social media. Some of you get it from different channels, and there's quite a debate out there on what channel you should watch for news. And so for all of our national, local, any news that we, uh, we need to know what's going on, we find our news on the channel ESPN. That's the only news station that we watch in our home. That's how we stay in tune what's happening in the world and in the globe and, uh, and, and nationally. Um, and lately, really over the past four or five months, that has been a very depressing channel because there's really nothing to report because there's no sports being played right now. And so it's led these, these, uh, these, uh, the, the channel, ESPN, to basically get into these debates all the time about who's the greatest and what's the greatest and so forth. And so we've seen programs, we've seen series, we've seen countless arguments about who the greatest basketball player is, who the greatest baseball player is, who, what the greatest team is, who's the greatest quarterback, all these debates. And it's, it's driving me nuts. I'm, we're not even watching it anymore because it's just over and over and over this monotonous, continual argument about who was the greatest. And I don't really care about who was the greatest. I want to see something now. I want a ball on a court or a field or whatever. I mean, I don't care what they do with the ball. Let's just get something out there so that we can watch it. So these debates, you know, we can have all these debates about who's the greatest. We could talk about who the greatest football team ever was or, or who the greatest college football team ever is uh, or what greatest sports program. We could get in a debate about who the greatest quarterback is. Um, you know, is it Tom Brady? Is it Roger Staubach? Is it, is it someone that's playing today and, and up and coming? Um, we could get into these debates. We could talk about these things. We could, we could have a debate about the greatest anything, to be honest with you. What's the greatest season? What's the greatest season of, of the year? What's the greatest place to vacation? What's the greatest place in Charlotte? What's the greatest burger in Charlotte? What's the greatest type of dessert? Uh, what's, I mean, it doesn't matter. We could get into these debates. And here's the thing about these debates. Really, in, in, every, in every sort of debate that you have about what's the greatest and who's the greatest and where's the greatest and when's the greatest is, is that it's all really relative. Like, there's not really an answer depending on who you are. So you may have one opinion and, and I may have another opinion. And, and I, I can build my argument based upon the stats and the experiences and the things that I think. And you can do the same for you. You can build them upon yours. And the truth of the matter is like you're entitled to your opinion about the greatest in those categories. And, 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 and you have a right to that. You have a right. So, so there's this relativeness and this subjective. And, and then what, we may, what are we measuring by? Are we measuring by points scored? Are we measuring by championships? Are we measuring about uh, replacement? Placement uh, value and so forth. We could go on and on and on about all the different categories and all the different ways that we can measure who's the greatest, but there is no debate about who the greatest really is. And, and that's Almighty God. What I hope 
through this series that we, we, we find together is just how great our God is. We're going to be looking at some of the attributes and descriptions of who God is and, and what he's like and who he is and how there's none like him. And to begin, I want you to draw your attention to the next to last book of the Bible. It's a small book, a one chapter book, the book of Jude. And we're going to look at just the latter part of the book of Jude, just a couple of verses to talk about something great about our God. So Jude was written uh, to a group of believers, and really Jude's main point is trying to help this church and these believers uh, stomp out the heresy that is growing amongst them, the, the, the strife and the turmoil that is being brought in by other people that have, have swayed away from the gospel. And like many epistles, Jude ends his epistle with, with a song, with a doxology. And this morning I want to focus on that doxology and look at what it has to say. Would you stand in honor of God's word as we look at Jude, verse 24 and 25. Listen to what Jude says as he closes out his epistle. He says this, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to our only God, our Savior through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forevermore. Amen. You can be seated. This, this two-verse two song was either something that was sung in Jude's day or something that began to be sung after Jude's day. But it was basically a praise. It was basically a prayer and an acclamation and a praise of, of God. A lot of epistles break off into moments where they have this doxology type thing or they end with a praise or a song. Very fitting and very appropriate. And one of the reasons that we sing as much as we do um, as churches today. But there's some specific things in here that he, he says and ascribes to God that I want to make note of. I want you to look closely at verse 25 to begin. And notice what he says, glory, majesty, dominion, and authority. These things belong to God. Amen. The word glory that he mentions first is a word that speaks of the honor and the resplendence, the beauty of God. That his reputation and fame, the dignity of who he is. There's no one as beautiful. There's no one as reputable. There's no one as honorable as God is. We, we understand the glory of God. It's spoken of many times throughout the scripture and we're told that this resplendence of who he is can't even be seen by man. No man can see and truly intake the glory of God. There's none as magnificent as him and as glorious as him. He says majesty. Majesty comes the root, the word mega, which means greatness. His massiveness, his loftiness, his Worthiness. There's no one as big, majestic, lofty, and worthy. There's none higher, larger than him. And then he uses the word dominion. Dominion speaks of the strength and power. There's no one more powerful and strong and dominant than him, which leads to what he says about authority. It speaks of the sovereign control that from his majesty and glory and dominion, he has supreme control. There's none higher than him 
we hear elsewhere that he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. That the direction of all things is in his hand. This majestic and dominant authority that he has. He controls everything. I mean, basically what Jude is saying, he is the goat. The greatest of all time. There is none like him. There is none as high as him. There is no one as majestic and glorious and, and dominant that has the authority that he has. But then he makes this statement to qualify and explain how long he's been like this. Before all time and now and forevermore. What Jude is saying is that these things that he is the majesty and the glory and the dominion and the authority. These things have always belonged to God. This wasn't circa, you know, 100 or in the 1200s that God attained this status and became so great like this. No, these things have always been who he is. This is not, not just a prayer that he's praying or a song. This is a fact. These things have always belonged to God. And the fact that he has always been the greatest, that he is the greatest, and that he will always be the greatest speaks to the unlimited God that he is. What, James is, what Jude is alluding to here is his infinity. God is infinite. He has always been majestic and glorious, had the authority that he has, and dominant as he is. He is right now. And he will always be. He is unlimited in these things. Amen. And he is unlimitable. He is infinite. Now everything that we know. And everything that we would call great. Has limits. I mean, let's just say we were to get in a debate about who the greatest basketball player of all time. And I can imagine that many of you, being North Carolina people, would make the argument and strongly believe and argue that Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball player of all time. But some of our younger folk in the room might argue that LeBron James, a current player today, is the greatest basketball player of all time. And some of you are boiling right now. I can see in your faces, you're... You see, this thing stretches us. And we could get into the debates, and that, that has been a debate that has gone on. I mean, there's been a whole series, six-part series, and, 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 and another one coming out to, to make the, the, the debate for the other side and so forth about who's the greatest. And we could look at the different categories, and we could measure each player against the, you know, so in scoring and average points per game, in, in rebounding, um, in, and then we could look at the accolades. Now, now I'm just to be honest with you, I'm not saying I'm picking sides, but I, I think six rings... You only have five fingers on each ring. You got to use another hand for your rings. I think you might be the greatest when you only have half that on the other, on the other side. We could look at those things and debate those things, but, but here's the deal with that. Is that neither MJ or LJ is the greatest in all categories. So some would make the argument that one was a better defensive player than the other. Some would make the argument that one was a better team player than the other. One is higher than the other in scoring. One is higher than the other in accolades and all-time appearances in the All-Star and all-team, you know, all the, the, the NBA team and all that kind of stuff. 
played in more Olympics, won more championships, been MVP more times. It's, it's split. And, and here's the deal with all that. So not every player has every category covered and so forth. But, but here's the deal with all those categories. Is that in 11 years, when my oldest son makes the NBA, he could actually attain all those categories on his own. So, so here's it, everything that they've done, and for that matter, everything any human being has ever done can be met and exceeded. And after that, it can be met and again and exceeded. And the truth of the matter is, we have limits. There's only so much, there's only so big, there's only so great that we can be. And there's always something, there's always more to attain. There's always more to do. You can see it, you can see he has six, but he doesn't have seven. He scored this many, but he didn't score this many. Everything that we know has limits. So God is unlike everything we know. Because he is infinite, unlimited in everything. And there's two specific instances and two specific categories that we, we think of the infinity, the, the magnitude and the eternality of who God is. Primarily, space. Everything we know is bound by the space that it occupies. All finite objects are at a specific location. They are somewhere. In fact, the greatness of most finite objects is determined by how much of that space they occupy. So what's the greatest mountain? Well, the greatest mountain is the biggest mountain. What's the greatest lake? The greatest lake is the biggest lake. What's the wealthiest person? The person that has the most amount of money. Who's the smartest? The person that has the most amount of knowledge. The greatness of any object is measured by the space that it occupies in any category. It's bigger. It's the most. This is not applicable to God. See, the question is not, is he greatest because he is the biggest? That he occupies more space in any category. So he, he occupies more majesty and he occupies more glory and he occupies more dominion and he has more authority. So therefore, he's the greatest. No, his greatness is not measured by the fact that he is greater than all others and occupies the most. He's not even in that category because he brought space and time into being. Genesis 1, 1, at the very beginning, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Everything we know as great, God started it. Paul says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, for by him all things are created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers and authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things. 
and in him all things hold together. He was before and he is beyond space and time. And he cannot be measured by anything in it. He's beyond it. He is unlimited, infinite. And when you think of space, every object that we know can only be in one space at one time. You're here and you're not at home. Those of you online are at home and you're not here. We're limited by the space that, that we're in. But God is unlimited by space. He's infinite. There, there's nowhere he, he can't be. He can be here and he can be there and he can be there and he can be there. It's the very debate that, that Elijah got into in, in 1 Kings chapter 18. You remember the story? Israel was worshiping Baal under the leadership of Ahab. And Elijah said, all right, let's make this, let's get this clear. Let's have the goat debate. Who's the greatest God of all time? If it's Baal or if it's Almighty God, let's make a decision. And I'll tell you what, we're going to put a contest together. We're going to put a test together. So he puts this test together. And the idea is basically they're going to build a fire. And whoever's God is greater will bring down fire from heaven. See if they can both do this. And so the Israelites go first. And they begin to call upon Baal and beg Baal to come down and, and burn the sacrifice that's on the altar. Answer us, O Baal, they, they say, begging. <laughs> and then Elijah, he gets a kick out of this. In verse 27 of 1 Kings 18, it says, And at noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for, for he's the God. I mean, isn't he? He's the goat. Maybe he's musing himself or... Or he's relieving himself. Or he's on a journey, or perhaps he's asleep, or he must be awakened. Keep calling, keep crying. And they kept crying and crying and crying out. And it tells us no one answered. Well, no one answered because he was a false God. He's not real. But that wasn't the point. The point of what Elijah was trying to help them understand is that the reason he's not here is because he's not here. He's elsewhere. And because he's elsewhere, he's not here. Maybe he's relieving himself. Maybe he's amusing himself. Maybe he's on a journey. Maybe he's taking a nap. And because he's doing all these other things, he can't be here. He's occupying those spaces or that space. And because he's occupying and limited by that space, he can't be here. That was the point. Our God, the real God, it's not like that. Amen. He's infinite. He has the ability to be here and there and there. Paul said in Acts 17, verse 28, 24, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. God can be at countless places doing countless things. There is no limit. He is infinite. Now in a few weeks we're going to speak of what this means, his omnipresence that he can be, and he is everywhere at all times, at all moments. He is everywhere. 
you know, but we're localized people because we're objects. And so we're limited to one space, one time. And so we see the world that way. And we even think of God that way. There's no doubt if you've walked with the Lord for any amount of times that there have been places and times in your life that you have felt the presence of this God. You, you remember those moments and there are certain places that are special to you because in that place and at that location, you felt the presence of God. Man, I can think of one of my first real experiences where I felt the presence of God was when I was in high school. I was at a camp, a student camp. We were underneath a tabernacle. We were in worship service. And there in that place, God met with me. I felt his presence. And he was calling me back to him. That place is always special because so real. And one of the first times that I really felt the presence of God calling me and working in my life. You're no different. You have those experiences. That maybe it was a church. Maybe it was a worship service. And certainly there's worship services that we've been in that we felt the presence of God. And there's churches that we've been in that we felt the presence of God. But then there's been times that we've been away from those places. And we've been in other places. And other seasons. Where we didn't feel it. And I've been in churches where I didn't feel the presence of God. And I've been in worship services that I've been in the presence, didn't feel the presence of God. I've been in the camps that I didn't feel the presence of God. I've been in circumstances and situations in life as you have where I did not feel God. And that's when we need to let our theology override our psychology. Amen. Because that's not our God. Just because it doesn't feel like he is here does not mean he is not. He is just as much here as he was or is there. He is just as much on the mountain as he is in the valley. And he is just as much in the middle as he is anywhere else. He is just as much in the good news as he is in the bad news. He is just as much in the great moments of life, and he is just as much present in the horrific moments of life. He is infinite. He is not bound by your location and your feelings and your thoughts. He is infinite. And that infinity takes him to another dimension, not just the dimension of space, but the dimension of time. He's not bound by time. How old is God? Think about it. He's been around a long time, right? He's been around a lot longer than you, and some of you have been around a long time. God's been around long. How old is God? Because he's infinite, that question is rather inappropriate. Because God is not a year older today than he was a year ago. He's, he's not bound by the same thing of time. Think about it this way. What is, those, those of you that are math whizzes, what is infinity plus one? Infinity. God, God's not bound by time. He, he's, he's the ageless one. He created time. 
He made time and he set time in order. And he stands as the one who has authority, a sovereign control and dominion over all time. The psalm writer says in Psalm 90 verse 1, Lord, you have been our dwelling places for all generations before the mountains were brought forth. Or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And then God declares this of himself in Revelation chapter 1, verse 8, and in chapter 21, verse 6, and in chapter 22, verse 13, where he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the one who was, who is, and who is to come, the Almighty, the beginning and the end. He is timeless. He is unlimited in time. So as well, he is not bound by time. Neither does time affect him as it does us. Time affects us. And time affects all finite, limited objects. What do you mean? Time has absolutely affected you. If we were to rewind 20 years and pull a picture out of you, time's affected you. You're different. You don't look the same. We age through time. We wrinkle through time. Some of you, if we were to pull back old pictures, you, you look a little bit different. Some of you might even be a little unrecognizable. Your hair's a different color. You had hair. You see, time ages us. Really, the truth of the matter is, I don't mean to be depressing, but because of time, we're all in a process. Every single one of us from the moment that we breathe our first breath are in the process of death. Because that's where it ends. Time gets the best of us. And we cannot endure time. But there's also a positive effect of time. Not only does it age us, but there's a positive effect of time. Time also develops us. Thank goodness it develops us. Because the truth of the matter is, Many of you are more developed today than you were 20 years ago in so many different ways. There was a day and time in your life where you couldn't even feed yourself. You couldn't walk. You couldn't talk. You didn't know left from right, up from down. You didn't even know your name. You didn't even know the name of the people that were doing all of that for you. But as time went on, you developed. And that developing process never ends. We develop day by day and year by year. Sometimes we try to halt that and pause that, but we develop through it. We mature. See, time does not age God, and neither does time develop God. He is the one who was, who is, and who is to come. He's no different two million years ago as he will be in two million years from now. Time does not Develop. He's not learning. He's not growing through it. He's not, he's not sharper, better, stronger than he was back then. As he declares to Moses, I am that I am. More than that, he doesn't see time the way that we do. He is aware of time and he knows it. He created it. He works through it. He is the creator of time, but he's not bound to the dimension of time. And the way that he works in time is so different than us. You see, we can only be at one time at one moment. I want you to think of it somewhat like this, like, like a parade. You've all been to a parade. You pick your spot in the parade. 
and you watch the parade go by and float by float and band by band and, and the different scenes and acts of that, they, they work their way by you. And what's been by you is now in front of these people over there. So it's like this pendulum of time just moving through us in a parade. God doesn't see that that way. If you could think of it anyway, you could think of it as God is, is the one who's on top of the steeple watching the whole parade. And he can see what is the beginning of the parade just as well as he can see what is at the end of the parade. And he can see the middle of the parade just as well as he can see both the end and the beginning of the parade. He sees it all as once. And as though it were right now. And it goes deeper. He can be involved here and be involved here and be involved here. Because he's not bound by time. Martin Luther, the great reformer, said it this way. God grasped everything in a moment, the beginning, the middle, and the end of the entire human race of all time. And what we consider and measure according to the sequence of time as a very long time ago, an extended tape line, he sees it in its eternity as though wound together into a ball. And so also both the life and the death of the first and the last human being are no further apart for him than a single moment. He sees everything from his perspective. Everything as it was, as it is, as what will be, nothing catches him by surprise. He describes it like this. A day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as though a day. As Zophar said to Job in Job Chapter 11, verse 7. Can you find out the deep things of God? Can you find out the limit of the Almighty? He is higher than heaven. What can you do? Deeper than shale. What can you know? Its measure is longer than the earth and broader than the sea. He is so far beyond us. He is infinite. He is unlimited. As Paul says in Romans chapter 11, verse 34. For who has known the mind of our Lord? Who has been his counselor? Who has given him a gift to him that he might be repaid for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever and ever. Our God is the goat, the greatest, because he has no limits. He's not bound by anything that limits us. He sees this world. He controls this world. He created this world from a perspective that we will never fully understand and know. Before the beginning and to the end, he was. And he is. And he always will be. As Jude said, before all time and now and forevermore, glory, majesty, dominion, and authority. So back to the song. We've looked at verse two, but I want you to draw your attention to verse one. Notice what he says in verse 24. Now to him, who is able to keep you from stumbling. The infinite, unlimited God saves us, the finite, and brings us 
to his infinite. He is specific now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. This infinite, great, majestic God that you and I are not like, so beyond us, in our finite, limited capacity, and in our limited, broken world, we have offended that God through our sin. What distance we already had, we have made even greater by running from him, rather running to him. We have stumbled into our sin, and yet this infinite, unlimited, great, awesome, authoritative, dominant, majestic, glorious God is able to keep us from stumbling. He saves us, and he preserves our saved lives. We are unworthy before him and so tangled in our finite limitedness and confined to our sin, yet he keeps us. He doesn't have to do anything for us. And he doesn't have to do anything with us. But yet, it tells us here, this infinite God keeps us. And he presents you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. We are anything but blameless. We are full of guilt and blame and shame because of the sin in our lives. We are guilty. And there's not one of us that will ever stand before him worthy of him. But here it tells us that he not only keeps us, but he presents us to himself, his presence, blameless. Makes us worthy of him. How does does he do that? Paul put it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 1, he says, we have a building from God. A house not made with human hands. Eternal in the heavens. He gives us eternity. The infinite gives us the infinite. The eternal gives us eternal. He makes us for that. And he gives that to us. And in verse 21 of the same chapter in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he says this. For our sake, he made him who knew no sin to be sin. So that we might be the righteousness of God. The infinite one sent his infinite son to a finite place to become limited by the limits of this world so that he who was perfect and infinite and knew no sin could be sin on our behalf. And he died upon the cross to give us the infinite. And not only to just be able to stand before him and his presence with blamelessness, but to do it with joy, great joy. How was that done? Well, Jude explains it here in the beginning of verse 25. To our only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. The goat 
the greatest of all time, our Savior, the majestic, infinite God, is our personal Savior. From infinity, from the eternal, from the unlimited, he sent his Son into the finite limits of this world to be mocked and to be scorned amongst us, to become one of us, to never have done what we did in our betrayal of God, to become one of us and to take our betrayal, to take our wickedness that is born in our finite wickedness and brokenness and to put that upon himself, to take it to the cross and to save us. This was the infinite one's plan. Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of our own, or be, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gives us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. He tells Titus in Titus chapter 1, verse 2, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. From eternity and from his infinite nature, long before you either breathe the breath, he knew you'd sin. And long before atoms were ever created, and the sun and the moon and the stars, he determined that his infinite son would give all that up to save you. The infinite, unlimited God sent his son into a world of limits to rescue us and give us an unlimited redemption. You can have the infinite and eternal through him. And you can know the goat, the greatest of all time. Through his son, Jesus. Let's pray. There is none like you. We don't even know the real depths of that statement. You have no limits. There is nothing impossible. There's nothing that binds you or controls you or holds you. Your glory is endless and it always has been. Your majesty is unparalleled and it always has been. Your dominance and power and strength has never wavered once and is greater than all combined and so far beyond and your authority you have complete control God help us to trust you there's never a moment in time and there's never a place you're not there and that you're not in control and that you're not the greatest teach us to trust you and to lean upon 
Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we looked at today, our God is incredible and awesome. And when you think about it, I mean, the very fact that we get to know a God like that is incredible. And also, it's astounding that we've distanced ourselves from Him through our sin. And, and as much as we really can't fathom and understand all that He is, we've even pulled that further away by your sin and my sin. But this incredible, infinite God has made a way for you to know Him, to know Him fully and to be with Him forever. That's the grace and mercy of God that He shows us through His Son, Jesus Christ. Have you trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you given Him your life? He wants you to do that. He's made Him available so that you can have complete access to this infinite God that He is. We'd love to talk with you about your decision to trust Christ today. You can text the word Jesus to the number here on the screen. We'd love to visit with you about that. Maybe you've been visiting our church for some time online. Maybe you've come here in person before, but maybe you would like to talk about uh, membership. We'd love to visit with you about what it means to be a member here at First Charlotte. You can text the word JOIN to the number here um, on the screen as well. We want to pray for you. If there's any way we can pray, you can text the word PRAY to that same number. Um, it's been great worshiping with you. Thank you for being with us today. And we will see you back next Sunday, 9 a.m. or 10.30.